accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We're continuing our run-through of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and right now we're up to the episode called Profit Motive. It is the 16th episode of the third season, excuse me, and it aired on February 20th, 1995. Written by Ira Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf, based on material by William N. Stape, directed by René Aubergenois. In this episode, Grand Negus Zek has become a philanthropist, excuse me, and Quark worries that he may have gone insane. Bashir is nominated for a prestigious medical award. Just going to be me talking about this one. It is a Ferengi-centric episode, the first of two, I think, that we have in the third season. We've got family business coming up later. But uh, yeah, this is Grand Negus Zek returning to the station. We get up to some hijinks, and we learn a little bit about the Prophets, which will be interesting because I had been wondering when the Prophets are going to return. I could not exactly remember, and here they are. So I'm going to play an audio clip. I'll come back, and then I will break down Profit Motive. Rule number 21, never place profit before friendship. Rule number 22, latinum tarnishes, but family is forever. Rule 23, money can never replace dignity. Oh, skip to the end. Well, what is it? You're not going to like it, brother. I can take it. Tell me. Rule number 285, a good deed is its own reward. Brother, are you all right? I I, I just have to sit down. You know, doing this uh, rewatch, and I haven't rewatched this series, and I haven't ever rewatched it, but I haven't uh, watched it all the way through in a very long time. Uh, the thing that's kind of striking to me is how blatant the sex references are in this. Like, the hollow sweets are one thing, but the umaks, where the people rub Ferengi's ears, is, you know, this is from TNG, but it didn't feel quite as sexual. The, uh, the cold open here is really just a, um, a play on sexual intercourse, right? She's rubbing his ears, just saying, like, you can go a little bit, don't be afraid to go a little bit harder or something like that. He wants to seal the deal with her later on, but there's no need to rush. She wants to get to know him, stuff like that. Um, How blatant sexual it is and how sort of cheesy it is at the same time. It's, um, you know, it's Star Trek, so I'm surprised that they actually even tried to do it. But it's not subtle on any level. And I was just a stupid kid when I was watching it the first time, not realizing what I was looking at. But anyway, this is a... Ferengi episode, as some of our listeners says, uh, they are the little trolls that people don't really understand how they exist in the Star Trek universe. I think that, you know, I'm not crazy about the Ferengi on any level. I think that the there's an argument to be made that DS9 sort of, um, and I think you can make the argument that DS9 does more with the Ferengi than any other series, and they kind of virus Stephen Bear's whole thing is to retrieve this species from the, uh, the dumpster heap that TNG had put them into. You know, after they're introduced in TNG as the villain that will be the uh, the main antagonist of the series, then they kind of are forgotten about. It. They become a, a comic thing. They're just kind of wheeling and dealing goofballs that people claim are like a parody of capitalism. I don't really find that to be an effective argument. There are more uh, people have sort of informed me that it's mercantilism, and I guess that's probably more appropriate. They aren't really a criticism of capitalism in any intelligent way. Anyway, maybe it's like a. Um, 
maybe it's kind of a like a cultural idea of capitalism more than anything but i don't mean to get too into that whole distinction but they're, they're, to be to be fair they're just kind of wheeling and dealing scheming unethical salesmen who are trying to make a quick buck by flipping a house or flipping some saurian brandy or something like that and bear tries to humanize them a little bit and the gem hadar is probably the episode that sticks out in your mind the most in that regard where quark and cisco have an argument and quark says well humans have murdered and committed genocide and been horrible and had wars and no ferengi has ever done that and it's a argument that seems like it kind of works until you think about it and then you realize that the ferengi are a pretty terrible society in the first place uh so the the comparison doesn't really work because it's not saying the show has never been saying that humans were never bad people. Um, it's the opposite. It's that humans came from these bad beginnings and eventually we overcame all this and we became something greater than that. The Ferengi are contemporaries of the humans at this point and the Ferengi society is objectively a terrible society. Um, horribly misogynistic, no real sense of ethics that would be useful to building a trusting society. It's all about screwing over people. Um, they just really don't make a lot of sense. And the argument that they are, you can't judge the Ferengi or that the humans are somehow above the Ferengi, is it, that argument actually does seem to exist. Like humanity does seem to be a better place than the Ferengi are at this point. And I know the show is trying to fix that and try to show you the, uh, the positives of being a Ferengi. And so you end up with episodes, I don't know if these episodes are the ones that are the best example of it, but you end up with Ferengi-centric episodes and for a variety of reasons, I think that they don't really work. Um, this is a, I'll read a patron comment here now, actually. I tend to do this when I have to do my own solo shows, um, just because the patrons give me something to bounce off of. Stephen Cobb says, One of the okayest Ferengi episodes is Profit Motive. This episode has some great stuff in it, but it did not add up to much. I enjoyed everyone needling Bashir about the award, Odo most of all. It felt like everyone was acting very in character for how they went about it. Quirk is a very good actor, and he even had me believing that he would lick the book. The wormhole scene with the prophets was pretty darn good and felt different from the other characters' or wormhole experiences. Quirk was pragmatic in his questions to them and proposed solutions. The prophets gave clear answers free of riddles. Quirk eventually annoyed them into grudgingly doing what he wanted, which is a very Quirk-like thing to do. So, it is an okay Ferengi episode. Um, I don't like the Ferengi episodes. I think that the comedy that accompanies them is not really star trek comedy and it's not something that the writing staff does really well i saw a uh, interview with i Stephen bear a while ago and i feel like this is the most appropriate this is the point in the series where i'm starting to understand what he was talking about but he was asked if you could redo ds9 what's something that you would change and his response at the time kind of um surprised me it was that he thought he forced comedy onto the ferengi too often and all the ferengi episodes shouldn't have been as comedic as they were trying to do which is good that he realizes it. I don't know why he thought it was the right idea in the first place. Um, Bear is funny at this point. Like his, I know he's going to get a lot of credit going forward for the Dominion arc and everything like that, but he has a very odd sensibility, I think, that he's kind of lucky he ended up with DS9 as his show because he likes comedy that I would describe as not funny. It's not funny. Um, I don't. I think this episode is based on something, but it's based on a taxi driver, taxi script or something. He wrote. Uh, yes, he wrote a teleplay for the, the TV show Taxi, and it was a spec script. And he just reused that idea here, and he turned it into a Ferengi episode. Um, 
obviously the problem is that you have uh, a taxi was a half hour show, I believe. So he had to add 15 minutes. And I think that's where the Bashir plot came in. But there's nothing. The Ferengi aren't built for this kind of comedy. I don't think Star Trek is really built for this kind of comedy. It's um, their society and their way of being kind of annoys me. Like the, the Ferengi have been written and conceived as this sort of like goblin-y troll army that talks annoyingly. They talk like fantasy creatures. And Zek really annoys me. Well, Sean is great, but it's really tough to watch Zek and take him seriously on any kind of a level. They feel like Muppets who have been transported into the Star Trek world. And that's not to say that the other races have been developed uh, perfectly, although I think there's a little bit more of like a seriousness to the Klingons or the Romulans and the Cardassians, especially in this series. The Ferengi don't exist like that. And it's nice when you have Quark, Ram, and Nog because they are the most realistic of the Ferengi. But when you bring other Ferengi into the show, it really highlights how goofy they are. And it's funny because I feel that the... The we've been talking a lot about the uh, like Bajoran religion and how unsatisfying I find that arc, and we talked about how the Vedics don't seem to really fit into the universe at large. The Ferengi are the opposite, which is interesting. They the Ferengi like Zek and his servant and Brunt eventually feel like they are part of this universe, and when they are not on screen, I believe that they are off doing things. In contrast with the Vedics and the and Kais, who I don't feel exist outside of their appearances on the show. It feels like the show just brings them in and now they're going to have an episode dealing with them. And then when they're gone, no one really cares about them. The Ferengi don't feel like that. They feel like they are a true part of the universe. They feel appropriate when they show up on the station. Even though Zek is the ruler of billions of Ferengi, apparently... I buy it when he shows up and he has these sort of small plots that he wants to get around because that seems very Ferengi-like to me. And this is all to say that the Ferengi, even though we don't spend a terrific amount of time with them, do have a established backstory and an established culture that I can latch onto when they do episodes, as opposed to the Bajoran religion, which I don't feel is very well established and I don't feel a connection to when it comes up. So the Ferengi religion feels like it would be ripe for some sort of... Um, satire or examination and this episode doesn't want to do any of that it just wants to do this comedy bit where wouldn't it be funny if the Ferengi became altruistic essentially and the rules of acquisition became rules of way to help people and it's just not very interesting to me like the, the dealing entirely with the Ferengi point of view is not particularly something that I'm very interested in watching it doesn't lead to any kind of interesting stakes And the episode really, really struggles to get anywhere with what it's talking about until, in my opinion, it smashes into the profit stuff. And uh, to be honest, I've sort of... Season 3, I'm having a hard time remembering a lot of the broad strokes, although it seems like a lot of stuff that happens in Season 3 is um, important. Probably the most egregious example is Destiny, the episode that came up. And I did not remember that the, uh, the wormhole communication system, the relay is the basis of how they communicate for the rest of the series through the wormhole. I had I had kind of, to uh, explain myself, I had kind of, and some listeners had guessed this, I had kind of thought that the tech was just something that they made up in the background. It's just like, oh yeah, now we can talk through the uh, the wormhole. There's no problem with doing any of that. I didn't really remember or realize that when they were doing it, they were using the communications relay. And 
The Prophet stuff is kind of similar. I don't remember every single Prophet appearance, and it's surprising to me that the Prophets show up in this episode. Um, when we talked about the Bajoran religion, and Clay had talked about this in Destiny, the problem, the problem with the Bajoran religion is how unfocused and unclear it is. And the only interesting thing to me about the Bajoran religion is the fact that the Prophets actually exist in this world. And the prophets can see the future. So it is not a, it's in some ways, it's not really a religion. It's more like objective truth of the universe. And the Bajorans kind of dress it up with prophecies and stuff like that because they don't seem to have had great contact with the prophets. And this episode explains maybe why the prophets don't talk to people. But the prophets being real is the only interesting thing about the Bajoran religion to me, that they can see the future. No one seems particularly interested in talking to the prophets. And here we find out that talking to the prophets is not particularly difficult. They are out there. You can do it. And I don't know. The The tough part about this one for me is that I was very interested in seeing the prophets again. I was happy when they show up. I love the way that they shoot the scenes of the prophets with that sort of yellow filter where everything's slightly out of focus and they cut between different characters talking even though it's one conversation that he's having or whatever character is having. In this case, it's Quark talking to them. Um, the problem is, and maybe this is a way that the prophets, the prophets are kind of wishy-washy and we'll get into that as the series goes along. But the reason, the reason that I really love Emissary as a pilot is because I think there's a kind of beautiful poetry to the way that the prophets are portrayed in that episode. It's a sci-fi story where you meet these aliens who live in a wormhole, and they can see the future, and they can see the past, and time is cyclical or whatever they say. But Cisco's story in Emissary is the metaphor of him not being able to escape the memories of his dead wife and the aliens viewing this as circular time and not linear time that Cisco is trying to convince them that it is. They say, well, why can't, why can't you just ever move on? It's because time is circular and you can see everything at all, all moments. Cisco tries to argue that time is linear, but then he admits to them, you know, through his tearful scene that uh, it's not linear because as long as she is in my memory, sort of like I live in the past with her. The prophets here are not that that's a good metaphor and a good use of that kind of alien the prophet alien because it gives them a thematic weight which is nice for the storytelling the the aliens are used to show you something about cisco in that scene and they are a they're a made up created deus ex machina that allows for that kind of storytelling it allows you to make sort of weird metaphors, sci-fi metaphors like that. And I think it works really well in Emissary. Here, I don't know what the prophets are about. So apparently, if you just go into the wormhole and you want to talk to them, they can. They can sense that you are bad people. Uh, they seem to have a better sense of humanity at this point than they were in Emissary when they were totally alien and didn't really understand anything. And you end up with Quark trying to argue against gods that his greed is good ethos, uh, his Gordon Gecko-esque ethos, is actually something productive. And the prophets shoot him down quickly, so then he just goes into blackmailing them by saying, we'll just keep coming back and we're super annoying, so you better, you better watch out. 
uh, because if you don't let me go, there's going to be more of us. And the prophets, I guess, don't want to be bothered. And so they say, okay, that's a good deal. We'll, we'll let you go. It's just not a, it's a waste of the prophets, basically. Like it's too small and too silly of a story to be as effective as these aliens should be. These aliens have a religion based around them. They should be something more epic and beyond comprehension than what we see here, which is you can wheel and deal with them and they will just kind of judge you for being aggressive and judge you for being uh, salesman-y and stuff like that. I don't know. It's it's a real letdown. It's not something that I think the series should have done with them. It's it's a much more of a straight sci-fi alien story than it is the sort of poetry that Emissary had with it. And if you wanted to do something similar to what Cisco experienced with Quark, I think you can do that. But the comedy aspect of the episode stands in the way, and it doesn't really allow you to do that in any um, manner that's satisfying because it's still all about like Zek not being the same and we've got to fix Zek. I don't know. It's it's not something that really um, works for me and it feels like it's all a bit of a letdown that the prophets would return in this situation and deal with Quark of all people. Um, that said, I love the the way the prophets are written where they bring in Cisco and explain, you know, everything that they know is that they've learned from the Cisco and Quark doesn't really understand what that means. Uh, the prophets say that Quark is trying to cheat the game or something. He's trying to see the end result before the game is over. That's all good. That ties into what I would expect from the prophets. I was just very disappointed that they end up in this simplistic uh, sci-fi alien routine that I think is beneath the prophets or it should be beneath the prophets and the prophets should um, exist on a level that's more like a philosophical uh, thematic thing that the characters can sort of bump into and learn something about themselves we don't learn anything about the Ferengi except for the fact that they used to be pretty much decent people (laughs) who took a turn for the worse and honestly it'd be better for the universe if the prophets turned all of the Ferengi into versions of what Zek was because Zek was sitting at his desk um losing money sending medicine to a plague ravaged planet or he's sending wheats or something to a, a drought ravaged planet I think the galaxy would be better if the Frangi were actually uh, all turned into what Zek became in the early part of this episode. Uh, let's see here. So we talked about the prophets, talked about that. We talked about the emissary stuff. We talked about Bashir's subplot. I learned uh, memory alpha was interesting here. The B plot is a the Bashir thing where he's nominated for this award and then he doesn't get it at the end. Um, is based on TNG getting nominated for Outstanding Drama Emmy in its seventh season. And this is DS9 kind of making fun of it. Um, Which is, it says here, uh, however, despite the unlikely event of a victory, some members of the TNG team became convinced that they were actually going to win. As it turned out, they didn't, but neither did NYPD Blue and said the award went to the unexpected Picket Fences. A, it's amazing Picket Fences won an Emmy. I've like the only thing I know about picket fences is probably from Star Trek. I don't think NYPD Blue. I've never I've never um, watched a lot of it, but at least I know that it was well respected. Never heard of picket fences really outside of Star Trek. Um, so anyway, that storyline is a just a like slice of life of that scene. It's it's kind of an in joke, but it's not funny. And they're making fun of TNG. Sort of. They're making fun of the self-serious TNG getting nominated for award and not ever really having a chance to do it. And then when they think they're going to do it, just no, you don't, you don't win your award. 
like as a narrative device the Bashir plot is really stupid it doesn't really go anywhere I like how it feels but it's a terrible story um, I like how everyone interacts with Bashir this is the first time we see the dartboard uh, we talked about that in the next episode but um, if I say in visionary that that's the first episode of the dartboard I was wrong we recorded that one first and this is the first appearance of the dartboard although they're playing in the cargo bay which does make a lot of sense um, I like the way people interact with Bashir I like the fact that they're so supportive of him everyone has uh, as Stephen was saying, the patron comment was saying that everyone is reacting to him in a way that seems appropriate. I 100% believe that. The best joke in the episode is Odo saying, my source of a source of a source of a friend of a friend of a daughter of a boy of a girl. Um, that is the best joke in the entire episode, in my opinion. It's it's pretty funny. Outside of that, the Bashir storyline doesn't really go anywhere. doesn't accomplish anything. Bashir doesn't really... What does he learn? Don't try? Is that the lesson that Bashir is supposed to take away from this? It feels like it was a in-joke between production staff that was tacked on to a 30-minute taxi script because I received Bear didn't have enough time to make a full Star Trek episode, and then they called it a day. And it's weird that it's not that bad. It's actually kind of a decent character thing for... The interactions, maybe not anyone specifically, but the interactions feel very um, collegial and warm and supportive, and it's an interesting kind of uh, tone that they strike with it. It just all comes down to the fact that he doesn't win, and everyone just leaves the party, and that's the end of the story. It doesn't tie in at all to the uh, theme of the other plots or anything. It's just really weird. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's. It's very strange to me that that got stuck in. I kind of, I can appreciate it. And I think that knowing the joke about it actually elevates it somewhat, but I don't know if that's a good storytelling mechanism to stick to. Um, let's see here. I'll read another patron comment. Holly McLaughlin says, uh, profit motive. This is one of my favorites. Quark is such a good manipulator that he literally sets out to manipulate a pantheon of gods and succeeds. That's true. He is. Although I wonder what Holly thinks about the fact that the prophet's uh, what I would have been talking about with the prophets earlier. Um, I don't know. It, it's tough. I, I I think that the the Ferengi comedy stuff is just something that really tanks the rest of that episode. And I don't know if it's something that can really be saved. Um, and it's a shame that they tie the prophet stuff into it at the very end. Uh, last patron comment, I'll read Matthew Ross. There's only three for this one. Profit motive, completing the deconstruction of the Ferengi from evil monkey men bent on distraction to a cliche Mel Brooks race of borscht belt stick. Shtick. So they become shifty-eyed thieves due to a turn of genetic code. Who knew that the, su- uh, the space peanuts had such power? Obvious comedy aside, the idea that the Prophet wormhole aliens were annoyed and then adjusted Zek to be left alone was probably feeling the audience's mild annoyance with the Ferengi. Interesting that Zek's leadership led me to confuse the theory of how Ferenginar works. How uh, it how is it that all trade yet with science? How is it all trade yet with science and worships? The B plot with the Carrington Award is light, but Bashir's maturity as an adult and some humility is finally on display. The humor between Quark and Rom is believable as opposites as brothers, uh, as opposites uh, or brothers. Shimmerman adds the depth that takes on this new iteration of the Ferengi and does it uh, it does fit perfectly in the story as the swindler with Rom as his unwilling patsy. Noting this was Rene Aubergenois' first directorial foray here, I thought it was competent and it was well run for the comedy bit. Again, another bottle episode. The Dominion were busy watching Babylon 5. Um, I think that the... Let me see, what, what do I want to 
say about this. Um, I guess the the knowing about the prophets having this power, like, is is that maybe one of my concerns? Is that one of the issues that I have with the prophets? Is that this power expansion they have? I'm not crazy about like the an emissary. Their storyline made sense here. They can apparently genetically manipulate people to go back to a. They can take uh, the de-evolution episode Genesis from TNG and just apply it on a um a singular level as opposed to the entire crew. It's. I guess they have that power. It's just weird to me that no one wants to talk to the prophets in the series. Like they don't, they aren't going out of their way to talk to them. Quark tries to do it here just because he wants to fix Zach, but he's never had the, he's never had the foresight that knowing what the prophets know would be good for business. Like, I, I just feel that the, the prophets are tough for me. I'm curious what other people think about them because I love the idea of them. It's just really tough to write them in a way that fits into the Star Trek universe and to not have it be wondering questions about why people aren't approaching these people as gods. At least with Q, you get the sense that he's annoying as hell and no one really wants to deal with him and he's not going to give you the answer you want because he's not out to help you. He might teach you a moral or something, but he's not going to be a direct help. The prophets feel like they can be negotiated with a little bit more, especially from Cisco. Cisco feels like he should be out there every day in a shuttlecraft talking to the prophets. Anyway, I think that's it. Profit motive. We had another Ferengi episode. Uh, not that great, but it is what it is. I'm going to play an audio clip. I'll come back and I'll give him my final thoughts and ratings about profit motive. The Cisco taught us about corporeal life forms. About linguistic communication. And linear time. I know all about it. He's quite a guy, but I'm not here to talk about Cisco. Then why are you here? I'm here to talk about the Nagus. The Nagus? The other Ferengi who visited you, the one who brought the orb. We are aware of the Zack. He came to see you to ask for help. He wanted to learn about the future. The Zack wanted to know the outcome of the game before it was played. That's right. So what went wrong? At first, we did not understand the Zack's request. The Cisco said that corporeal beings value their linear existence. The Zek wanted to understand events outside the restrictions of linear time. He wanted to see the future so he could gain by it. Yes, the Zek explained the value of gain. How more is preferable to less. He taught you about profit. We found the concept aggressive. Adversarial. Dangerous. We could not comprehend how any species could lead such a barren existence. It has its advantages. We don't agree. We found the Zek's adversarial nature invasive, threatening. We examined your species history, the totality of your existence. We discovered that you have not always been as you are now. We haven't? There was a time when your people's acquiring nature was not so pronounced. Wait a second. Are you telling me that you somehow de-evolved the Negus? We have restored the Zek to an earlier, less adversarial state of existence. You can't do that. The Nagus is the financial leader of billions of Ferengi. I demand that you re-evolve him immediately. This one is adversarial too. Aggressive. Intrusive. We should do to this one what we did with the other. Restore it to a pure existence. Counteract its adversarial nature. All right, so that's it. Profit motive. I read all the patron comments, so I can just go into my own final thoughts. I'm going to give this one a three. It's not horrible. It's not 
super competent. It's a perfectly functional episode of Star Trek. The comedy doesn't work for me. If you enjoy Ferengi comedy, you might like this one a little bit more. Uh, the profit stuff to me is a little bit of a letdown from what I would expect from that angle and that storyline. Um, and that's that's pretty much it. I'm going to give it a three. It comes out kind of like a, a very average okayist, I guess, as Stephen would say, episode of uh, Ferengi features here. That's about it. Well, uh, I think that's it. Let me see. Read my page one more time here. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, we'll be back with guests in uh, Visionary for the next episode. And then after that, Clay will be doing the next two. And then we'll get into uh, Improbable Cause and the Dice cast. So not too far from that. Anyway, guys, thank you very much for listening. And thank you for supporting the show. You can uh, check out all the social media links. There will be links to Facebook, Twitter, the Discord. I would recommend going to twi- uh, Discord. It's been a good conversation starter. I spend more time on Discord than Twitter now at this point. Um, and then you can like the video. You can leave us an iTunes rating. That's greatly appreciated. And you can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show. You want to leave comments about upcoming episodes and we get to read them on the uh, the podcast as these patrons did. And uh, the captain level tier, get a shout out at the end. I haven't done this in a little while. I always forget to do this. So apologies, but I don't know if you guys want this every single episode, but this is a perk of being a patron. Thank you goes to Stephen Cobb, Samuel Custer, Santos Gonzalez, Robert Cummins, Andrew Kayerlog, Matthew Cutler, Spinobi, Russ Graham, Eric C. Johnson, Nathan Elliott, Ewan Tibbetts, Decker Sebastiani, Neil Brennan, Carrier Mobility, Michael Pond, Bradley Killens, Rune Vendler, Jay Stanley, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Ben Douglas, Kyle Barrett, Joint Mango, Tark Latif. Thank you guys very, very much for supporting the show. It's much appreciated. And I think that's it. Not a great episode. We're in the, the dregs of season three. I left a comment on, maybe I'll talk about that for a second. Where is this? Where is this? Oh, do I want to talk about this or should I just wait for this? So I, I just I was talking in the uh, the comments on Discord about what people thought about uh, the general feeling towards season three to this point. And uh, I'll just read. I have to say that I find the middle stretch from civil defense to destiny to be pretty boring. I'd include this one into this episode. It's a solid three. Uh, season three is a strong start, but the delay to the Dominion continuation is pretty egregious from a modern TV perspective. So I was wondering what people thought about that. I know some people hear this podcast and they say that I don't give, um, I'm viewing the show the wrong way. I should be taking, I should be, I should be putting myself into a 1994 brain and watching this and sort of commenting on it. Uh, that's never been what the podcast is about. So I'm interested in what people think from a modern TV perspective. And I had some dissent in the discord about it. I'm just curious what people think. Um, am I just, I wonder if my take on DS9 is more of a bias towards the fact that TNG was the series I watched growing up and that DS9 doesn't do that kind of storytelling as well. And so therefore, when they fall back into those kind of tropey Star Trek-y stories, I don't feel that they're as effective. And when the character work on DS9 comes through, it's really effective. When the meta plot comes through on top, it's really effective. But episodes like this, which are sort of standalone semi-connected to the background, but not fully, they don't really do the things that TNG did for me. And I don't know if that's because I can't be objective enough to tell if that's the quality of the series or if it is the my TNG bias where I'm just more comfortable with TNG and how they did it. It's hard to say. This did come after seven years of TNG, so it's like, it, it is understandable that the uh, it's kind of wearing thin at this point, and that's why DS9 really salvages itself when it gets into its dominion storyline going down the the road 
But I don't know. Let me know what you guys think. It's something interesting. At least it's interesting to me, and I have a hard time figuring it out. I don't know if I'm just impatient, waiting for something to happen in the series, too, which might be another thing. But I don't think that this stretch of episodes has been any great shakes. It's competent at best. Um, And it's just been a... It's been maybe 10 episodes or so, which is a long time. It might just be a weak running point of season three. Anyway, let me know what you guys thought. That's about it. I'm going to call it a day. I will see you guys next time with Visionary. And then after that, we'll be into... What is after that? Oh, it doesn't even matter. Visionary's next. (laughs) I'll see you guys in a couple days.